Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to the Hotcast, where today I will be standing in for Cole as he enjoys a weekend wedding away as I try and get my head around the issues ongoing at Aston Villa. Cole decided that I should be treated to some quality father and son bonding time as today I am joined by Simon. It seems sen- it seems ages since we were last recording together, almost reminding me of when the teacher would split up the two naughtiest children in the class. How are you, Simon? <laughs> I'm very good, thank you. Yeah, not too bad. How about yourself? Yeah, I mean, aside from Aston Villa, I'm I'm not yeah. too bad. Did you watch the game yesterday? Yeah, unfortunately I did, yeah. So an hour and a half of my life, I'm never going to get back. Now, before we get into the nitty gritty of what we think went wrong, I feel as though I should make it aware to the listeners to ease their minds that a search party has in fact been deployed to look for Ollie Watkins shooting boots. Um, <laughs> and I think that's probably the place to start. What do you think went wrong yesterday? Well, in general, or with Watkins specifically? <laughs> you know what? We'll, we'll mean, start off in general. What What's going wrong at Aston Villa at the moment? Oh, God, I mean, I don't know how how long we've got to, to go into that. Um, I mean, it's it's stuff that everyone, I think, has been talking about all season. It's there's just no there's no discernible style of play at all and you kind of it's really really difficult to get my head around because I think I've mentioned on this podcast a few times if you look at the attacking options we've got specifically the likes of Coutinho Brendia Watkins Ings who have proven to be goal scorers in the Premier League outside of sort of the top six seven maybe top eight of last season every other club were killed to have that combination of players. There's other clubs who've got certain individuals that are obviously very, very talented. But as a collective, I think you'd struggle to find, certainly on paper, a better group of players. And the fact that we've only scored six goals in eight games, and in those eight games, we played Bournemouth and Leeds and a rubbish Everton at the time as well. It's not good enough and you you've really got to start asking questions, like serious, serious questions about what's going on because, as, as I say, the, the, the complete lack of a discernible style of play or any sort of attacking patterns or anything like that, you've got to question what, what are they doing every day on the, on the training fields because I don't think, I don't think any, anyone really knows what the players are meant to be doing and we've become one of the worst teams to watch in the league, which, you know, again, repeating myself, we've got Philip Coutinho playing for us. We've got Emi Brindia playing for us. Douglas Luiz is a Brazilian international who was wanted by Arsenal and Liverpool. Jacob Ramsey is one of the, the best young talents in the league last season. Uh, Matty Cash is a great uh, attacking fullback. Luca Dean has shown to be a really good attacking fullback. He can create chances. And it's just, it's not good enough. It really isn't. And that game yesterday, especially that second half, playing against 10 men, 
against a poor team. Let's let's have it right. Leeds are not a good football team. They've got a couple of decent individuals, but but they are an awful team. And to not score against them and not even really look like scoring against them is pretty unforgivable. Yeah, I mean, especially especially when they conceded five to Brentford in their last game. Um, one of the questions I've got in my notes is, where does the blame lie? But looking back now, it doesn't seem as though it's that black and white for me. You know, a lot of people will place their blame on Steven Gerrard, which we will 100% get into more in depth, um, and rightly so. Whereas I'm almost thinking, yes, 100%, but we also have one of England's finest attacking coaches in Aaron Danks, which isn't working. We have a set-piece coach in Austin McPhee, who looks as though he's just sitting there telling Douglas Ruiz to shoot from every single set-piece. Granted, it's worked a few times. Um, You know, you look at RXG, and I'm not really one to go into the stats about football. I, I believe that we should watch it with our eyes. However... If you look on paper and you really take it down to the basics, Steven Gerrard coached a 2-0 win yesterday because our XG was 2. So so technically, does that blame then just lie with the players for not being able to put the ball in the back of the net? Or how far down the line do you go? I think with with all these you know, questions like that, it's always a case of it, it is a collective thing. It's not one specific thing that, that is a problem. I think... You know, certainly in, in in the game yesterday, that there were there were good opportunities to score, and you know, with, with stuff like that, you kind of the players do have to take responsibility for that. Like, there's, there's no two ways about it. But at the same time, you, the 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 tactical side of things is is just it's not there at all. I mean, when they went down to ten men, it became pretty obvious within five, ten minutes of them doing that, what Leeds' plan was. And quite rightly, you know, you down to ten men, so you pack it and think, okay, let's try and get points out of this. So I, I think there was maybe a sort of 10, 15-minute periods around the hour mark where we started to like really get on top. And you're thinking, well, why have you waited until the 83rd minute to put a second striker on the pitch? Like it, it just it doesn't make any sense at all. And and, and that that is purely going to come down from a managerial point of view. And you're pointing off to McPhee as well. It's like it's a it's sort of sort of a flippant jokey one, but 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 there is some validity to it. You know, it's the t- plan seems to be if we get a corner, Louise have a shot, and if we get a free kick, every single free kick, it's let's just float it to the back post. You know, if, if it hasn't worked in eight games, I didn't call me crazy, but it might be an idea sort of changing it up a little bit. It's, it's just it's it's really really baffling, and also the how Brendier isn't getting any starts really really does surprise me because every time he comes on the pitch, he's instantly our best player. Even if he's only on the pitch for ten minutes, he's the best player that's been on the pitch for us that day. And you know the I think what's really frustrating is is the same old comments after every interview you get of oh, we need to be better in the final third. You, you can't just keep saying that. You're the manager. Do something about it. And, you know, he, he said afterwards, we came here to frustrate Leeds. Why are you going to Leeds to try and frustrate them to get a point? They, as you said, they lost 5-2 to Brentford in their last match. What 
he's just he's really really frustrating I, I thought recording a day after the game would give us time to calm down and be a bit more measured but I've been like in work today chatting with my brother and a uh, lad at work as a Villa fan the more he sort of chat with them the more angry I get about it and it's uh, and it just is a really, really, really bad result that yesterday. I'm really glad you mentioned about Danny Ings and the time that he got onto the pitch. And again, we'll come into that in more detail. Uh, for anyone obviously listening, because we're not viewing, that's probably for the best as Simon's face is currently matching the colour of his jumper with how <laughs> angry he is. Um, I've put off talking about it for a good nine minutes. So it's probably best to finally get into Steven Gerrard. Um, very mixed opinions is probably what I'd call it. Um, mm. Thoughts? He he said yesterday that he thought we'd turned a corner and Christian Perslow had also come out in the recent fan-led meeting about a week ago that said he was very happy with the progress that he's seen under Steven Gerrard and that as always they will continue he he mentioned the run of fixtures that we've got coming up and just to let you know we've got Forest away next week uh, Chelsea at home Fulham away Brentford at home Newcastle away Man United at home and then Brighton away and that's it then done until the World Cup so a really favorable run of fixtures however some may say that the start of the season we also had a favorable run of fixtures and that didn't quite work out. So obviously, Perso came out and said he's happy. Um, they'll review it again in the November international break, obviously, with the World Cup. With Gerard then coming out and saying that he thinks we've turned a corner, What? where do you stand with those sorts of comments? I mean, surely he can't believe that's true. That, 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 that sounds like... Um... A manager panicking who knows he knows he's really underperforming, knows that he could be in trouble, and he's trying to put the best spin on things possible. I mean, he says we turned the corner. The, the Man City result and performance was really good. You, you know, you can't, you've got to give credit where it's due. But that's the only good performance of the season. But that one 0 win against Southampton, yes, it's a win and three points, which is vital. But you can't surely. Christian Perzo cannot have watched that game and thought, well, yeah, this is progress. Like that, that really, really worries me. That is, that's basically, that's the same as uh, after the it, uh, England Italy game last week when Gareth Southgate says, oh, you know, that was good individual performances and this is a step in the right direction. It, if that was a step in the direct, right direction, I don't want to know what the destination is. And if, with Perslow is saying that he's seeing progress. That would terrify the life out of me as to what their their end goal is. But part of me wonders if that's you know the old classic vote of confidence from the board. You've got to put on. You, you can't have um, whilst he's still in charge. You've got to give the best opportunity for the club to get good results, and it's no good your CEO coming out and like publicly saying to the in the fan forum, "Yeah, he's you know one or two games and he's out the door." You, you can't have that. But I'd like to think that behind the scenes that there are contingency plans at least being put into place and at least putting the feelers out to other possible managers because that run of fixtures you mentioned coming up. I don't see that as a favourable run of fixtures. I think the start we've had to the season, 
but uh, with the exception of Arsenal and Man City, which are obviously tough games, every other fixture I think were nice fixtures on paper. Coming up, Forest away on a Monday night on TV. We all know what's going to happen. Villa never do well on television, especially away from home. Man U away is not a good hunting ground for us. That's not that's a tough game. Chelsea's going to be difficult. Fulham away, I wouldn't fancy our chances there. And even Brighton at home, the way Brighton are playing, it, you, you look at it and think, I, I don't see that as a favourable run of fixtures with the former in. The players we've got, it should be. We should be more than capable of getting results from there. But the way things are going, you, you just, you really struggle to see it. It's, it's, it's so frustrating when you think, when the new owners came in, what, four years ago now? They spent two, three years really building the club back up again. Because let's be honest, before they come in, it'd been shit for 10 years. It'd been really, really awful. The fans were disconnected. There was there was no cohesion at the club at all. It's in turmoil. And they'd done so well to build that back, to build that up and build that connection. And it seems in the last 12 months, all the good work of the previous three years has been undone. Like it's, fans are going to the games now dreading going to the games and thinking it's not going to be good football and yeah it's just it's really really upsetting (laughs) you mentioned feeling disconnected with the club at the moment and I think the news story that broke after the game finished sums that up better than I ever could in the fact that obviously the Conservative Party is staging their autumn conference in Birmingham And MPs ended up playing a game at Villa Park, which, fair enough, all well and good, until you find out that many families had been turned away from the stadium tours that had been prepaid and pre-booked five minutes before they were due to begin for said game. How does that leave you feeling? Um that's that's unacceptable. Completely unacceptable. There's as you say, if you if you want, there's no problem with with uh, you know, hosting a, a game like that, that's all well and good. You can do that, but you can't have pre-booked, you know, families on tours and then last minute turn them away for that. It's it's just it's it rank it, it screams a like rank amateurism and suggests like a complete a complete contempt and disregard for the fan base, which it, it surprises me to be honest, actually, because they the owners and Persa have been very vocal about trying to bring you know this whole community together and something like that, especially you know not not to go massively into politics, but there's you know there's not a great feeling in the country with the government. So surely, surely someone must be saying to someone high up at the club, this is not going to play well. Like it just smacks of a really needless and necessary. PR own goal. Yeah, 100%. Where does the blame lie for you then there? Um well, it, I mean it, we don't we don't know who's decided to to uh, to sanction this, so it's no it, without any further details, you kind of just speculating there, but there's should you'd assume that you know someone fairly high up at the club must have been involved in that decision making process. You know, that that have had to have gone to someone like a Perso or someone at that type of level. So, you, yeah, it's, it's it's high up and it's not acceptable. Anyway, we'll move away from that and yeah, back yeah. towards the football, <laughs> you know, because the football's oh, so God. much better at the moment. <laughs> um, we'll go in chronological order. I've got 
a, a list of a few players here um, who I think I'd like your opinion on not necessarily what's going wrong for them at the moment, but your thoughts on the situation surrounding them as a whole. And the first one is Freddie Gilbert. Now, this is the million pound question, and it has been for many, many years now. Fell out of favour with Dean Smith. The same has now happened with Steven Gerrard. Not even in the squad. Now, for me, when I saw Augustinson go down with an injury, and I look towards our bench and I realise we haven't got a fullback on the bench, I immediately turn to Gerard and go, that is his fault. No matter what, well, I say no matter what, regarding what's gone on behind the scenes, because clearly there is something that hasn't been made public to the fans that has gone on. Because yeah. he's training with the under-23s, Gerard is quite clear that he's not part of his plans and that he wanted to get rid of him in the summer. Granted, but he is our fullback that is fit in a team where we have three fullbacks out injured. Why can he not make the bench at least in case something like what did happen occurs? Is that down to Gerard or is it Freddie Gilbert's fault in your eyes that he clearly isn't showing enough? Well, I think he he wasn't included in the 25-run squads that had to be submitted to the league. So I don't think... I don't think there's an option to then bring someone else back up into that um, if, for injuries. So that's obviously just a decision at, at the start of the season that's been made, you know, that he's he's not going to be part of the club. And that's, I mean, as you say, without really knowing what, if anything, has gone on, it's hard to make a judgment on that. I, personally, I always thought he was a good player. I, I thought he did well for us. I, I didn't really... I've never really understood why he's been jettisoned the way he has. But then you kind of think if you know one manager, Dean Smith, doing that, you can you might say, okay, maybe that's just a clash of personalities there. Two managers not fancying him, maybe there's questions to be asked. But as I say, you kind of it's hard to really know without knowing the full details. And also at the same time. It is unlucky having that many fullbacks out injured. Like I know every club gets injuries, but it's rare that you get everyone, you know, one specific position or players available getting injured. So this, you know, that that is unlucky. But then having said that, I thought um when Gerard was asked about his injury after the game, I'm sure he said something like it's a classic case of he hasn't played football for a while, played two ninety minutes for the club, and then isn't really physically ready to then come in and play a league game, but we had to play him. No, you didn't have to play him because if he's not physically ready, and I'm not saying that this is ideal, but you could have started with the back four that ended the game if you didn't think he was physically in a condition to be able to go and do that. So that's, for me, that's kind of on Gerard. Like him coming out and saying that doesn't make me feel sorry for him. It makes me think, well, you're an idiot for, for playing him in the first place. And if, if you thought that that was a possibility, what were you thinking? And also, is Callum Chambers injured? That's another one that's on my list. <laughs> um, yeah, wasn't on the bench at all. And I'd, I'd probably argue that Concert had been in quite poor form going into the, today's game. So I wouldn't have been surprised to to see him. I don't understand where... Chambers has gone or if he is injured for example why 
everything's gone so quiet regarding it. it it leaves you with more questions than answers and a football club should never leave a fan with more questions than answers they should be vocal enough to tell them what is going on because that's really all you ask for as a fan as a football mm. fan you know you're not going to win every week bar man city fans if they exist <laughs> you know that everything isn't going to be rosy all the time but as long as you know what's going on and you feel that connection with your club you can't you can't really ask for much and you mentioned the injury crisis and I'm really glad you did because I'd actually forgotten to go over it is that part of me thinks that Gerard could well turn around and gone Kamara is out injured Diego Carlos is out injured those are two players that I prioritized in the summer to make our squad better and they are now out injured so you can't expect me to kick on from last season as well as having Matty Cash and Luca Digna both out as well do you think it would be right for him to look at that as almost an excuse or maybe a reason for us not kicking forward in the leaps and bounds that we'd maybe hoped for or is it not as simple as that um it's just... I don't know because I mean, as I say, every, every club does have injuries. So, like, an injury, I don't think is necessarily a valid excuse. However, I think there is some validity to the fact that we've had so many injuries. Like that, that is obviously going to have an effect. Though, what I would say is that we, other than Diego Carlos, we've had sort of Cash Dean and Kamara for majority of the games this season and it hasn't been great so that I think it's a I think it's a reason that that, that can be used to to an extent but it, it only goes so far I mean we've had the majority of our midfield that basically all of our attacking players have been fit all season and we've done absolutely nothing the last two games admittedly against poor teams We've kept clean sheets with defensive injuries against Man City where Matty Cash went off. Um, and so, you know, he had no cash, obviously no Carlos in that game. So that's half your first choice back four gone. We got a point and we're well worthy of it. So, you know, that, yeah, as I said, that, that excuse only goes so far. That would be, I think, more of a valid reason if, say, we'd lost heavily to Leeds and Southampton as well. Maybe you could go, well, you know, what can we do? We've got defensive issues, but that actually doesn't seem to have been a major problem at the moment. It was certainly like in the, in the last few weeks anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. And I, I'm really glad that I'm hosting today's episode because I think I would have really struggled to answer the questions that you, you currently are because <laughs> for me, it's it's such a difficult one, isn't it? Cause every year we expect progress or we hope for progress, which is also backed up by what the club says. And then it feels as though so far that almost isn't happening at the rate in which we'd like. Right, next player, Danny Ings. We Leeds go down to 10 men early on in the second half. And as a Villa fan, from a Villa perspective, you sit there and think, right, there's no excuse now. Go and win this game. You've got to go and win this game. So why was Danny Ings sat warming his bottom up until... 10 minutes to go why wasn't you saw Jesse Marsh as soon as they went down to 10 men he knew what he wanted to do he went five at the back he stuck three in front of that and then the one attacker he knew exactly what he was going to do in that scenario for me 
it felt as though it took Gerard a while to adapt to what was going on on the pitch to be able to make the changes off it to impact the game. It it almost seemed too slow for me. Why, as a Premier League proven striker like Danny Ings, with Watkins obviously, I don't want to say not having his best game because he was creating chances and he looked like scoring. But why has he not then stuck another Premier League proven forward like Danny Ings on with more than 10 minutes to go? I mean, I think the, the only man who can ask that question is Steven Gerrard because it, it completely baffles me. I mean, you 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 question um, why does Jesse Marsh make that instant change and Gerrard doesn't. I think that's the difference between a manager who is confident in his own abilities and a manager who is really scrambling and struggling at the moment and panicking. I mean, I, I, I'm not, you know, Jesse Marsh, I, I think is certainly an odd character to, to put it politely, but he did a, you know, he's, he's shown himself to certainly at Leipzig, I think he was to be, you know, a decent manager. He know he has a clear set sort of uh, style of play and way of playing, whether, you know, there's obviously questions about how effective that is and how good it is, but at least he has a style and he has his team playing that way and he knows he knows uh, what what he wants to do in any given situation. For me, I, I really, really struggle to sort of come up with any reason as to why you wouldn't throw on a second striker. Certainly, I can, you know, maybe I can forgive giving it 10, 15 minutes but as I say, around the hour mark, when it was clearly obvious what was going on and, and we were having so much more of the ball, I just, I don't understand why why you wouldn't put a second striker on. And also, because their keeper, Melier, I, I mean, I've never rated him. I think he's awful. He flaps at everything. So I don't understand. Why wouldn't you think, okay, you, you I think three times in that game yesterday, he came out for crosses and completely cocked it up. And one of them, Konza should have scored from who's an absolute sitter. But when you've seen him panicking at any time a ball goes into the box, put a second striker on and put balls into the box because eventually he's going to make a mistake and you'll profit from it. It just it, it's really, really difficult to understand. You know, you, you, I think Gerard's interview before the game on Sky, who's very you know, adamant and comments about we've come here for the three points, we've come here for the win. Well, it didn't look like it from where I was sitting. Do you think there was a doubt in his mind? Because obviously since he's come to the club, he's had that massive pressure of making Ings and Watkins work on the pitch together. And he had that moment where he was so persistent with the two of them and it just wasn't working out. Do you think there was a doubt in his mind that because they haven't done it before, maybe resting well I say resting them leaving one of them out and trying to get Watkins to put away one of the many chances he had was a better idea possibly but then again we've we've not played with the two of them against 10 men where you know you're going to have complete control of the ball it's it's I I can understand if it's 11 v 11 where you don't want to lose that um, solidity in midfield and that extra man in there but you've got that anyway so you can afford to put a second one on and even if you're thinking, okay, maybe we've seen Ings and Watkins just don't really have that connection. There's another striker sat on that bench who, I mean, I know Steven Gerrard clearly doesn't like being asked about him and will throw a hissy fit if you do mention his name, but I'm going to Cameron Archer. What is the point in having that lad 
sat on the bench and like let him, let him go out on loan or give him a go. You, you're playing against 10 men who are not posing a threat whatsoever. You've got a striker sat on the bench who scored a few goals last season for us, went out alone and did really well at Preston. And then in the summer for the under-21s, got in there and was banging goals in every single game. You know, why not give him 20 minutes run out and a chance might fall to him and it, if it doesn't come off you can you know you, you, I think you you get a bit of leeway because he's a young player once so the fans will be more forgiving but if it does come off you look like a genius and, and you get you get plaudit so for me there was a it was a no-lose situation to, to, to chuck Cameron Archer on for 20 minutes there yesterday I was going to save this topic till the very end because I have a <laughs> feeling that we could be on this for a long, long time. Now, if you've been living under a rock, um, Ashley Priest, who I am a very big fan of, was asking Gerard his usual post-match questions when he asked the same question that you just did about why was a lad who is so clinical in front of goals and he has the record to back that up not only Aston Villa under 21's level but also for the Aston Villa men's team when he's got a chance and then so forth for the England youth team when he's had a chance there as well why he wasn't given a chance when Villa need a goal most and to his reply and I quote he's only done one full session is he chomping at the bit 100% you're a fan of Cam you aren't you or are you a mate of the family? Something's going on because you've asked me 25 questions this year and I reckon 19 have been on Archer. You're a fan, aren't you? I mean, great rhyming. Shakespeare would be proud. But, um, <laughs> how does that leave you feeling? Again, it's for me, it's a sign of a, a manager who's panicking and, no, and, and under pressure. Because from when it reminds me a bit of towards the end of Steve Bruce's tenure when he started getting snappy back at journalists for, for asking legitimate questions. That that's for me, that that's just a that's a reasonable question. You've you've got a young lad who's shown himself to be clinical. And also not just for the under twenty like uh, ours in England's under twenty ones, but think pre-season, Archer played quite a big part in pre-season and scored goals in pre-season. So he's involved in and around the first team. So and when I think back in August, when Gerard said about the reason for him to stay around is because he's shown himself to be capable of doing it. So when you're looking at a team who scored six goals in eight games, I think it's a perfectly reasonable question to ask about a striker who is a goal scorer. Why wouldn't he you know, be given a chance? And that sort of snipey, pissy response is a... Uh, it's the manager panicking and, and it it doesn't play well with the fans. I don't think any fan is going to read or hear those quotes and be on Gerard's side in that argument. It only leads to to one way, doesn't it? And that's slowly losing the, the fan base. <laughs> he did it in the summer, well, last summer of 2021 when Jack Grealish left. Um, when he wrote an article about Jack. So he certainly knows how to um, get under Mm. people's skin. But like you said, it wasn't even as though it was an out there question or it was, you know, looking for an arrogant response from him. It was a perfectly normal question. So maybe it is just him feeling the pressure. Is it too early for Archer to start a game? 
Um, a couple of weeks ago, I'd, I'd have said maybe, but I don't think it is now because, again, I'm repeating myself, six goals in eight games. It's not it's not good enough. And as I said earlier, we played we've played Bournemouth and Leeds and we haven't scored against either of them. So as you know, I'm a I'm a huge Ollie Watkins fan. I think he does a lot of tireless work for the team and he's isolated so much in games. I think it is difficult for him at times. However, he's got one goal this season and he missed at least two. I think really good chances yesterday. Maybe maybe a third one, although I think there was one the one towards the end where Brendier put him through. To be fair, I think it was that was a tough angle and the keeper came out very quickly at him. But there were two chances that he he should be burying. And you know, it's at some stage if it's what what's what do they say the definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. At some stage something has got to change. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I don't really have much to add because I just do completely agree. Um, you know, of course, you'd know the definition of madness, but um, <laughs> it just it, it it just seems very bizarre. And I've I've mentioned it already. There seems to be more questions and answers at the moment, and you know that the tide isn't turning in your favour when that's the case. The last player I'm going to go on to is Leander Dendonka. Obviously, we've had our midfield troubles. Um, Kamara now out being injured and I think it's plain for everyone and his cat and his dog and his pet goldfish to see that Douglas Louise is not a holding midfielder that's the whole reason that we brought Leander Donker in everyone was sitting there and saying I think that's quite an astute signing I like what he does he does the simple things well he's not a flashy player he'll sit there in midfield and he'll mop up which is exactly what we need to do in Kamara's absence so why why do you think he didn't get a game yesterday in the height of a time where we have such an unbalanced midfield for me it never looked as though we weren't going to lose that game I remember even in the 89th minute they managed to break forward with such ease and mm. get a shot off at goal that there was never such a comfortable nature that I thought, we're not going to lose this. Plus, yeah. being a Villa fan, you've almost come to accept that that's never the case. But would it not feel more sensible to stick him in from defensive midfield from the go and then allow your two number eights as such to be able to push forward more? I mean, yeah, you, you would have thought that would be the more sensible approach. Uh, I think the issue is, and it's something we've spoken about before, is by giving John McGinn the captain's armbands, he's he's made it very difficult to, to drop him. And f- for me, and uh, funny enough, I was, me and my brother were talking about it today, I would have looked at, I would have started that uh, midfield three of Dendonka, Louise and Ramsey. I, I, I just, I think, the options available at the moment, that, that, that's what I would do. Louise, as we've said so many times, is so much better in that number eight role. Jacob Ramsey is someone who should be starting every game. And just a quick note, I cannot believe he got taken off yesterday. I, I was honestly raging at the TV when I saw that he was... You still are, off. aren't you? I still am. <laughs> yeah. But it's... But it's it's it all stems from the the whole captaincy fiasco in the in the uh, in the summer and giving McGinn that armband. And I, I've said it on on this probably a few weeks ago. 
I'm a huge fan of John McGinn. I think he's got he's a, he is a good Premier League player. He's proven himself to be a good Premier League player, but he's not playing well at the moment. It's not working. And like you say, then Donker, nothing. You know, he's, he's not a flashy player, but he's a good solid signing. He's played in a team that's finished in the top eight three years in a row. He plays in the Belgian national team. You've got to be a decent player if, if you're playing for Belgium. So it just. It, yeah, it's another one that just doesn't make any sense. And you kind of, you wonder, part of me wonders, did Gerard actually really want to sign him? Have any intention of signing him? Because I think he basically said he wasn't even on their radar until the transfer deadline day. And that, you know, comments like that, sort of, they do worry me a bit, actually. Yeah, I mean, that's weird, isn't it? I personally hadn't seen that, but... um yeah, very strange. Um, now, again, as you're only listening to this podcast, you won't be able to tell that there is currently steam coming from Simon's ears. So to allow him to cool down so he doesn't physically explode, we're going to take a quick break and be right back with you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And we're back. Simon has had time to cool down, wipe the sweat off of that glistening forehead, do some (laughs) yoga to relax, and we're ready to get back into the thick of it. So we've talked a lot about players that we feel should be getting more minutes on the pitch. Now I'm going to pose that question to you myself. So Nottingham Forest is obviously our next game, a tricky away game. Obviously, they're fighting for every single point that they can get at the moment. They remind me a bit of us in our first season coming back up. Obviously, a lot of the spotlight is on them due to the vast majority of players that they brought in in the summer and having to make it stick straight away. Are you expecting a tough game there? Uh, Yeah, because we're just not in a good run of form at the moment. And I think they're, at the time recording, they're about half hour away from kickoff against Leicester tonight. If they get a win in that game, that that gives them a massive lift. Is a local derby that that they'll have won, and then they'll be they'll they'll uh, they'll be going into that game. I think fairly confident because Forest have obviously are having problems defensively this season. But what they're not struggling to do is score goals, and and we are. So as I, you know, as I said earlier, Monday night football away from home, and uh, it's going to be a sellout crowd. You know, it's. It's a good sort of tight traditional old ground when like the fans are on top of you. It's it's a tough place to go. Having said that, Ellen Road is a hostile environment to go to. And what I 
what I, the one thing I did enjoy in the first half, really more than anything, was the fights and the aggression that we showed. I, I did actually, I, you know, we've we really laid into them and deservedly so about the the actual sort of quality of football. But it was nice to see that they were up for the fight, they were up for the battle, and they didn't. I also thought they played with quite a bit of discipline. I've seen a lot of Leeds fans seem very unhappy with the referee's performance. I actually think other than not booking Bailey in the first minute for stupidly leathering the ball across the pitch, I actually think he got everything spot on. I think every foul that he gave against Leeds, they were fouls. Like, and I we, we went in hard with challenges, but we didn't go over the top. And when we did, they, they got free kicks as well. So I, I, I thought the players... Did well not to get sucked into that because at half time I'm thinking, oh, what's that group? I think I said I'll be amazed if there's not a red card in this game. And I, I thought that it was it was good, a good show of discipline from us not to get involved in that. So they've shown that they can uh, sort of play in an environment like that and not lose their heads. So from that point of view, you know that that gives you maybe a, if you're trying to find positives from yesterday, maybe that gives you some confidence that they won't wilt away at Nottingham Forest. But they, if the worry is uh, with Villa as it has been for a while, is if they go a goal behind early, you just you don't. I don't really have the faith that they're not going to wilt and crumble. But then again, to contradict myself once again, we went one 0 down to Man City. And got a point, and after watching them yesterday, that seems quite bloody spectacular. That we went one 0 down to City and managed to come back and get a point from that. So, yeah, this I, I don't know. It's it's a really it's a really difficult one to call because, as we've mentioned plenty of times in the last few weeks, on paper you look at the players we've got, we should be going there comfortably coming away with three points. But it's Aston Villa. I mean. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that because you look at the history the last few games between Villa and Leeds and it has had that edge about it. And, you know, we did do very well in that regard in terms of keeping our heads and making sure we kept a level of maturity on the pitch um, to not get sucked into almost their games that they were playing. They almost shot themselves in the foot because they were getting more and more wound up and we almost let that, work to our advantage I only think the disadvantage of that was the constant free kicks and the constant stops in play regressed us from being able to move up the pitch and and really get a bit of form going on and you know get in towards their goal but we won't talk about the Leeds game anymore um you know Forest Forest away like you said difficult one we got a point against City uh, not a while, not even that long ago, and after their recent displays, like you said, absolute miracle, <laughs> um, especially <laughs> on our run of form. But what sort of lineup would you like to see for Forest away? Obviously, Matty Cash is expected to come back into the side. I think he trained today for the first time since his his injury difficulty. So I'm guessing you'll have him come straight back in. Does that mean Young will then go? out to the left or what would you go? Yeah, I, I, I mean, assuming uh, that obviously what well, Dina we know is going to be out for uh, an unspecified period of time, which is the classic Villa, not not really giving much information. And obviously, uh, Augustine Sun has 
like the reason he's done his hamstrings, he'll be out. So yeah, the makes sense to put Ashley Young out to the left. And to be honest, he's he's been excellent in the, in the last few weeks coming in at fullback. So yeah, I'd expect Cash to come in. My personally, I'd want to see a midfield of Dendonka, Louise, and Ramsey. That's not going to happen, but that's what I think would be the best thing to do. And then the forward line, that that is a difficult one. For me, Buendia has to start, absolutely. Would you stick with a 4-3-3 then? I don't know if we've really got many other options other than to do that. I, I don't. We don't have wingers other than Leon Bailey, uh, so you can't... Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's really... You, may, you could... You could go with a 4-2-3-1 and have Louise and then Donka as those two. So that Louise can can to an extent perform as a holding, but he'd have that safety net of Dendonka alongside him. And then it's it's, it's a question of who's who's the three behind Ram for me, Ramsey and Buendia would have to be one of them. So then you either you either go in Coutinho or Bailey and hoping that Bailey will turn up and a bit of pace away from home. And then it's huge you play up front. So you, you know, do you, you probably, I, I would stick with Watkins up there purely because of obviously, yeah, he had an off day, you know, uh, with his shooting boots. But as a lone striker away from home, I think you've got to have Watkins probably starting like that because of the work rate and he does and what he provides for the team. So then, and I would, I would probably go with Coutinho. I know there's questions about can Coutinho and Buendia play alongside each other. But if you had a, a sort of a two holders, that at least provides a, a solid base. And if you kind of reined in Young and Cash going forwards so much as well, then that that you've got that solid base that you're not, you know, so over overrun uh, from a defensive point of view. Either. So that'd be something I'd be looking to try. But I, I don't see... I, I suspect other than Cash coming in and Young moving over to the left, I think you'll have the same 11 that started yesterday. Villa, so we definitely saw against City that when you do rein those fullbacks in and we play tight and compact, that it, it works. It allows us to get up the pitch and go through the motions a lot easier than when we're having to worry about, well, if we lose the ball, suddenly we've got two centre-backs and you know nothing else to, to protect there. So mm. I certainly see what you're coming from. Um Obviously, moving towards the latter stages of the podcast now, and I think I've probably saved the hardest question until last, which is being, we, we've talked a lot about Gerard. we've definitely critiqued him. If you were Steven Gerrard, what would you your main focuses be before the World Cup? So in those Brett games before, we, before the World Cup, what would your main focuses be to improve Aston Villa Football Club? <laughs> Um, no, no maybe, pressure. Maybe come up with a style of play. You know that that, that might be a good starting point. It's I mean, there's there's so many things that there need to be improved. A part of it for me, you know, if I was Stephen Gerrard, my main focus would be: Am I going to have a job come the start of that World Cup? Because the way things are going, I I don't I don't know how how he can remain in there. And the reason I say that is because I think. When Dean Smith was sat, the statement from Perzo about not we're not we've not seen the continuation or you know progression or something along those lines that you know the continuation of improvements by coming out and stating that as a reason for making that change, 
you've made the rods for your own back. You you've, you you can't now go a year because by the time that World Cup rolls round, Gerald would have been I think like uh, twelve months in the job. And for me, we're we're, we're certainly no better off. Arguably worse off than we were when when he came in. So, you know, what did the board do then? Did, did they look at that? You know, did they they sack Smith on his last twelve months. For me, I think Gerrard has performed. I think we've. I think we're worse to watch in this twelve months than we were in Smith's last twelve months. So. Personally, I I would actually get rid of him as soon as possible. I I, I, I do not see it change. I don't see it changing. I, I I've seen nothing to suggest it's going to change. The whole ridiculous, unnecessary issue he created in the summer with Tyrone Mings was a real. I think he really shot himself in the foot with that. He's put himself on. I think that put himself on the back foot with Villa fans, and I don't. I don't think he's. It's reached sort of crisis point in the stadium yet, but I'll tell you what, two or three more performances like we've seen in the last few weeks, it won't be long before those fans really turn on him. And when that, if that happens before the World Cup, I, I, I think it'll, I, I'll be amazed if uh, when football returns on Boxing Day, I'll be amazed if he's still in that dugout. Wow, you um, you led me down dark path there, didn't you? <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting that. I must, I must admit. Um, I don't feel as though we can really end it there. I think you've opened up a whole new kettle of fish. You'd, so you'd, you'd get rid of him now? Oh, would you? Wow. I, I wow. just, I don't. I mean, can can you honestly sit and and say that you can that you you see an improvement in these next seven games? Do you, do you genuinely think that we're going to put put a run of results together? No, I don't. <laughs> but I, I I feel as though chopping and changing is never the right answer. I get everything that you're saying. However, it would still feel as though it's just too early in my books. The only, and I'm going to completely contradict everything I've just said here, is <laughs> if Pochettino came available tomorrow, I would go for it now. However, yeah. anyone else in the market, I don't think is an upgrade on Gerard. So it would have mm. to be him in my eyes. You, we, there, there was some talks about Unai Emery. That's not going to be much more exciting. You saw it with Arsenal. You know, he, he's very good at what he does, but I'd rather having had him in posts for 12 months, let him at least try, you know, we've given him the whole summer. We've given him mm. the players that he wants, then go and, it's up to you then to work that out instead of going for some someone with a similar style who would then need their own players. I mean, personally, I would swap Gerard for Emery in a heartbeat. Would you? I do, absolutely. I, I mean, you you can people will look at at what he did at Arsenal, but they still finished relatively high up the table, and he's won what is it four or five Europa leagues with a couple of different clubs. Like, I mean, he has a no, pedigree, don't it? Doesn't he? Th- that's what I mean. Yeah, there's there's no comparison in their managerial um, records, and you know, you could argue it may not be exciting, but at least he at least he knows how he wants his teams to play, and he's able to get those teams playing like that. Uh, I I agree. If Pochettino was available, if it's an interesting one with Pochettino because you've there's little bits and pieces you've seen from. Some 
people on Twitter who are completely, they think they're in the know, but they're clearly not. But you then, I think I saw, I'm sure I saw something from David Ornstein that was suggesting that it's not completely out of the question. And if I personally would don't think that he would come, but if there was a chance that he would, you'd do it tomorrow. I mean, yeah, I saw I saw the same article, um, and it was basically saying that he's he wants a Premier League job. Um, that would be his preference, but in order to take that, he has to see a clear vision of what the club wants to go in. And vision is probably the word that's been banded about Villa the most in the last twelve months. I don't, I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and talk about the possibilities of Pochettino and Emery because no. I think when we have a manager in position, I feel as though that's wrong. Um, so I'm. I'm not going to go too far down that alley. I mean, I think we've we've made our feelings perfectly clear. <laughs> I I personally would stick just for now. I think. You know, Perslow said he'll review it in the international break unless something drastic were to happen. I think give him until that World Cup break because then that gives the manager a lot of time to come in and work things out instead. Because you know we've got Chelsea, Fulham, and Brentford in the space of seven days. So if you're a new yeah. manager coming in, you don't expect to get it right straight away. So if we if we then give that person the World Cup, it's then almost like a mini pre-season, which is what Gerard yeah. found about needing I'd, first time round. I I I do I do uh, get and accept the logic behind that. My my only concern is that I think what so by the time the World Cup comes round, it would be what thirteen or fourteen games. So he's just under half the season gone. If it goes as as I and I think a number of Villa fans probably think it's going to go between now and then. You've just wasted another season, and and that's the only issue. But I do, I, I think you make a really good point that, like, it's all well and me, me, good me saying I'll get rid of him now. I I do that because I just I don't think he's I think he's out of his depth, and I don't see it improving. But you, there's no point in getting rid of him just for the sake of it. You've got to have someone lined up who's a, a clear upgrade, and if you're gonna do it make sure it is actually a managerial upgrade unlike the last time they, they got rid of a manager. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I've said this so many times now, I'm getting bored of repeating it, is that it's not realistic. Perslow isn't going to pull the trigger on Gerrard, especially because it is Steven Gerrard. If he sacks Gerrard, he's admitting defeat in himself as well because that was very much his appointment. He will take the flack for that and I don't think he's the type of person to do He's going to give him as much time as he can possibly get away with without it turning disastrous. So it could go on, you know, past the World Cup. If we get a few runs of wins together in this run, he'll go, well, he's he's going to have his injury players back. He's going to be able to get his full squad back. So I don't, it, it's difficult to sit there and speculate, but I'm glad you mentioned that um, you didn't think you saw it changing because... I think it's it's good to see a lot of different opinions and also be able to back them up because you always see a lot of opinions online with no real substance of well let's get him gone let's let's move him on so to be able to sit here and listen to how you'd back that up I, I think it's it's a healthy conversation to have it's definitely not out of the question completely 
Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like like you say, is there's no you can't like there's no point coming on and saying things and, and not you know backing up why you say them, why why you think about them. And it is the difference of opinions. Like obviously, I think the point you made about you know if you give to the World Cup, that gives him a significant period of the season. And don't get me wrong, nothing would please me more than for him to turn it around and for us to win four or five of the next seven games going into that World Cup. And then we get the injured players back and we kick on the second half of the season. I would absolutely love that to happen. That would be amazing. I just, from the evidence of the last 12 months, I can't, I struggle to see that happening, but I would love to be proved wrong. Wow. I mean, only time will tell, won't it? Um, I think that's a good place to bring this one to an end. Obviously, thanks to Simon for joining me on this one because without him, it wouldn't have been possible. Uh, If you did like the sound of his voice, then go and make sure to check out his Twitter account at SIO Regan. And if you did like the podcast and you're new here, make sure to check us out as well on Twitter at 7500 Holt. Make sure you let us know what you think, what could be improved other than obviously getting rid of Simon because we've we've tried and that hasn't worked. Um, (laughs) Let us know your thoughts on the podcast and your thoughts on Villa at the moment, their state as well. We love to interact with you. Uh, Thanks for listening and up the Villa. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.